new Freedom of Information data shows nearly 100,000 students were absent from school during the Million March for Children last summer. Misinformation and disinformation are the number one threat facing the world in the short term, according to the World Economic Forum's 2024 Global Risk Index. Former and current Jewish students have joined a class action lawsuit alleging that six Canadian universities fomented a climate of anti-Semitism on campus. Hello Canada, it's Friday, January 12th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Cosmin Georgia. And I'm Isaac Lamaru. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. Close to 100,000 British Columbia students were absent from public schools on the day of a nationwide parental rights protest last year. New Freedom of Information data shows that nearly 100,000 students were absent from school during the Million March for Children last fall. The data revealed that the One Million March movement was most concentrated in the cities of Surrey and Abbotsford, which are approximately 40 minutes and one hour outside of Vancouver, respectively. In Surrey, 18,464 of the district's 80,208 students were absent during the walkouts, amounting to a 23% absentee rate. Meanwhile, a whopping 37% of Abbotsford's K-12 public school population was also absent, or 7,598 of 20,551 total. The Canada-wide marches were initially organized by Muslim parents who were growing increasingly disillusioned with school teachings on gender and sexuality. In Surrey and Abbotsford, it is largely the Punjabi community taking charge of the parental rights movement. Parental rights advocates are concerned about pornographic materials in school libraries and teachings that encourage minors to change their biological sex. They are also worried about the fact that biological males claiming to be trans women can enter female washrooms. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau condemned the protests in a September 20th statement. So as our listeners know, True North covered these protests extensively. We actually had people in different cities across the country. I myself uh, happened to attend the Abbotsford protests, but also the one in Vancouver and I noticed a quite a significant difference. The the one in Abbotsford, which is, if you don't know the different regions of British Columbia, Abbotsford is kind of in the Fraser Valley, which tends to lean more conservative and is also more rural than uh, Vancouver and its surrounding area. So in Abbotsford, there were a lot of people who were protesting in support of the One Million March for Children, whereas in Vancouver, it was pretty much in the other direction. This report uh, by Lindsay Shepard, who also happened to uh, attend these protests, is quite startling. I mean, 100,000 students seems like an awful lot of absences. So Isaac, from your knowledge, I also know that you went uh, to protests in Alberta. When you were looking at the media coverage of this, did the legacy media's 
reporting at the time even mentioned that kids were missing school to attend these protests. Yeah, Cosman. So as you mentioned, I did attend the march in Edmonton, which was right outside of the Alberta Teachers Association building. And it was actually one of the first things uh, I covered for True North, live tweeting uh, the whole thing. I don't think the legacy media covered the absences at all. They they did cover it, I should mention, but they didn't label the absences. However, I do recall some of the media coverage that I saw in legacy media mislabeling the event as anti-trans, whereas I'm sure, as you know, the event was more so check children and keep gender ideology out of school. Many of the signs at the event uh, I went to, for example, said things like leave our children alone or hands off my kids, stuff like that. The event, uh, in my opinion, was really about parents who wanted to protect children's innocence with the aims of keeping mature content like pornographic books and the like outside of schools. And I don't know if you had a similar uh, experience yourself when you attended the event, but for me in Edmonton, I have to say the event was extremely positive. Uh, everyone was super friendly, smiling. It was a really good vibe, although, of course, it was a protest. And you can imagine how the counter-protesters across the street who were trying to make uh the protests about LGBTQ rights maybe at no fault of their own, given how certain media framed the event, had a completely opposite vibe, Osman. As for the kids that were missing, I, I do have to say at the event itself, there were many children uh, at the march in Edmonton, some of whom were even brave enough to speak to the crowd and talk about their experiences in school and how it has harmed them and, and how it has harmed education as a whole. Did you have a similar uh, experience at, at your events in BC? Well, yes, I think... Part of it is also that the legacy media wants to fool Canadians into thinking that it's a minority of the population, these angry conservative people who are out there trying to bring Canada back uh, into a different decade. But that's not the case. There is actually a lot of support among young people, people who are directly subjected to some of these ideologies that are being spread throughout our public education system. And I did see very many people from Gen Z at the protest in Abbotsford. There was actually groups of kids who attended and were there in support of this message. So the idea that there's only you know, a minority of the population really uh, who is in support of this is false. And I think it's also been disproven by some of the polls that we've seen, the popular support that premiers in Saskatchewan and New Brunswick have received in their pushback against these policies. So I think when we actually present these statistics and make them available like we have done here, the picture becomes clearer. It's not exactly how the media would like Canadians to think about this. There is more widespread support among different demographics than they would like you to believe. In its annual ranking of global threats, the World Economic Forum has declared that the top issues endangering the world are misinformation and disinformation. The WEF Global Risks Report 2024 is the 19th iteration of the organization's annual threat rankings. Released just a week before global leaders head to Davos, Switzerland for the WEF annual meeting summit, misinformation and disinformation jumped to the top spot. Ahead of extreme weather events, war, terrorist attacks, and inflation. Emerging as the most severe global risk anticipated over the next two years, 
foreign and domestic actors alike will leverage misinformation and disinformation to further widen societal and political divides, the report reads. The WEF warned that the use of false information would, quote, undermine the legitimacy, end quote, of governments, which could result in unrest and civil conflict. Several developed nations have already taken steps to legislate government control over the online realm, including in Canada, where the Liberal government has pledged to introduce laws that would sanction, quote, online hate, end quote, even to the point of criminality. True North will be heading to WEF to cover this year's summit, which starts Monday. Osman, obviously you're one of the staff members of True North heading to the WEF to cover this year's summit in Davos in a few days. Do you expect disinformation to take the center stage for this year's conference? So yes, absolutely, Isaac. Disinformation and misinformation has actually been creeping into the schedule of the WEF for some time now. We've reported on it before in past years of this conference taking place. But now, for the first time, they've actually ranked it as their number one short-term threat to the entire world. And if you actually read through this report, uh, it's, it's quite a lengthy report that goes into a variety of different threats. It's not just all about misinformation and disinformation. They do commend certain government actions uh, to combat misinformation and disinformation, particularly online. One of the key threats that they mention is the threat of artificial intelligence, particularly the technology of like ChatGPT and different image generators being available, made available to the general public. And they say that threatens the stability of politicians and governments. Additionally, there were a few mentions about how, you know, government overreach can impact free speech, but... When I read it, it was very one-sided. They rank misinformation, which is, you know, you could argue is just wrong speech. Who is the arbiter of what information is correct and, and which information is not? And they, I, I think most of the speakers, uh, barring a few people, are in favor of government action and overreach to control the flow of information. So I think it will be very interesting to see how these panels work out this problem, what solutions they present, and additionally, figuring out what sort of conversations are happening in the background of the World Economic Forum. And I would also like to stress to our listeners to make sure to tune in to True North's WEF coverage we will be providing you a day-by-day -day breakdown of exactly what's going on, as well as providing you with exclusive footage, exclusive interviews, and exclusive reports on our website. Six Canadian universities are now facing class action lawsuits over allegations of rampant anti-Semitism and an unsafe environment for Jewish students. The institutions named in the lawsuits include Queen's University, York University, Concordia University, Toronto Metropolitan University, the University of British Columbia, and McMaster University. The Toronto-based personal injury law firm Diamond & Diamond, representing the plaintiffs, said that given this issue is similar on university campuses across the country, it intends to file class actions against other universities. 
This anti-Semitism is always couched in the language of free speech, of being only against the Israeli government but not Jews, and speaking up for Palestinians. However, the truth is that these rationalizations are a disingenuous and convenient cover for anti-Jewish hate. Jewish students are left unsafe and unwelcome at a university that professes to be a safe space for all views and all people, Diamond and Diamond detailed in their class action lawsuit. In some instances, the university's student unions were also named as defendants. Diamond and Diamond is co-counseled by the Lawfare Project in their $77 million class action lawsuit against McMaster University and the McMaster Students' Union. The plaintiffs in the lawsuits are separated into different classes. They are all Jewish students currently enrolled and those who have graduated in the last two years. The statement of claim against York University also listed a third class, all Jewish students who attended and graduated between 1998 and 2021. So Isaac, we've seen this issue develop over the past few months since the October 7th attack on Israel by Hamas. We've reported on Jewish students at university campuses feeling threatened, having to hide symbols or, or different habits that identify themselves as Jewish because there are people on campus, whether they're students or members of faculty, who they believe are anti-Semitic and have acted in hateful ways. We've also seen certain university campus members arrested, as in the case of the Toronto bookstore, the Indigo bookstore, where almost a dozen individuals, including university faculty members, were among those arrested in a suspected hate crime targeting the Jewish business owner of that company. So as this issue develops, could we see the class action lawsuit grow and spread to involve more universities? Yeah, Cosman, as you mentioned, the law firm representing the plaintiffs, Diamond and Diamond, said that they intend to file class actions against other universities where this anti-Semitism is happening. On top of that, they said that there is a decades-long documented history of this anti-Semitic rhetoric at York University and York Federation of Students, one of the universities in the class action lawsuit already. Cosman, to me, uh, it is wild and, and frankly sickening to me that, that some Canadian Jewish students no longer feel safe at universities and that any person could deem this as an acceptable outcome. Personally, I feel like if the universities were more condemning of this hate speech, this maybe could have been avoided or at least subsided in some way. I'm curious, do you think that the results of this lawsuit could be something that finally gets the university hierarchies back in check? Or is that a lost cause? Well, you know, I'm not a legal expert and, and just definitely not a trained lawyer. So I think it's important to point out that from my understanding of the reporting that's going on so far, it's up to the court whether they actually accept these lawsuits as a class action because there is a chance and, and a probability that the court says, well, it, it we might not accept this as a class lawsuit and they have to be adjudicated uh, on the individual basis. But the other issue at hand is that even if this does go to court as a class action and the judge rules in the favor of the complainants, it, it, ultimately it's going to be taxpayers 
paying because we fund these universities. They're public institutions. They get government funding. So portion of the money that they have to pay out will be coughed up by taxpayers. So will universities learn their lesson? And I think that's at the root of this question because universities have been the grounds for so many abuses of people, whether it comes to freedom of expression, whether it comes to Jewish people and anti-Semitism. It's, it's, it's always been like the, the universities and the campuses. These are the grounds where some of the most radical ideas and the most extremist, generally far left ideologies are bred. And all these activists come out of there emboldened. So whether a lawsuit, a, a class action lawsuit like this one worth $77 million and growing will actually cause a dent and, and force these institutions to say, hold on, something went wrong here. We really need to reform ourselves to make sure this doesn't happen again. I'm not so sure. That's it for today, folks. Make sure to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to share our work with your friends and neighbors. And if able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Mm-hmm.